Yeah, I got a bit of a gentle telling off, I suppose we could call it, uh, this weekend on Twitter from Philip Matthews, who's a senior journalist at The Press, uh, just reflecting on our Media Watch program in the weekend. He said it could have looked south this week at how the 10th anniversary of the first Christchurch quake was marked by New Zealand's leading news website. Uh, those are his words. And I suppose I could have, so fair, fair call by him in a way. And I suppose the, this week's story about uh, Southern Response and the insurer and all of that going through court, even after all these years, is a reminder of what some people in Christchurch are still dealing with. And uh, that sense of frustration is actually part of, well, I guess, the centrepiece of the effort uh, to commemorate this by stuff in Christchurch was by Philip Matthews himself. Uh, it's a New Zealand On Air funded series uh, of seven short videos uh, called Munted, and it's a personal perspective, that's how it's built, which is Philip's perspective, uh, along with a stuff colleague, Charlie Gates. Um, the videos are no longer than eight minutes each, a series of seven, so uh, just under an hour's worth of stuff. And actually, it, it may not um, console Philip, that having not mentioned it, but on the night they came out, if I'd been doing midweek with you last week, Karen, I would have mentioned it because I think they came out on the Wednesday and we and my family watched them all in one go, all the way through on our TV together. So look, it was a hit with us. And um, actually, let's just hear um, a bit of it now because I guess the thing it brought home to me was... I had uh, lost track of how that rebuild was going in Christchurch and how people felt about it. Um, so, yeah, Philip's video kind of brings you up to speed with uh, people who feel a, a sense of frustration about that. So how was this big new vision realised? With what kind of amazing cutting-edge technology and visionary thinking? It turns out that the Rebuild Group made cardboard cutouts of the city's anchor projects, the big pieces of furniture like a stadium or a convention centre, and shuffled them around on a board as though it was a giant game of Monopoly. The plan, forever known as the Blueprint, was launched at the end of July 2012 with a tree planting ceremony that looked more like a scene from Macbeth and struck an ominous note. Yeah, so you can see there's a sort of jaundiced tone there in that, isn't it? But it was billed as a personal perspective and an alternative uh, history by uh, New Zealand on So they probably got what they what they uh, wanted in the end. Uh, great name, Munted. Yeah. So good use of New Zealand on air money? Well, yeah, because I, I looked it up and in fact there wasn't a whole lot. It was $36,500 or up to was in the New Zealand on air allocation. I mean, there have been other video projects, things like um, Gerard Smythe and his Frank Films outfit have done short and long um, uh, documentaries about life in Christchurch. Uh, but Philip's thing was, was different. It did have a bit of a jaundiced tone. Jerry Brownlee was all the way through it. Actually, he didn't come out um, ter- terribly well. Uh, but I guess there are a few people in Christchurch who feel frustrated with the way he handled things. And as part of the press's anniversary coverage, there was uh, a surprising interview, a short interview with Jerry Brownlee about it that ran a f- couple of days earlier. And he was asked, you know, what would you have done differently? And he said... I would have taken advice about how you give clear messages to people without being offensive, which I thought was an interesting answer because in the Munted films, you quite clearly see how people felt they were being, on the one hand, asked for their opinion, being consulted, and then getting fait accompli delivered. Um, you know, But with the necessary proviso, things had to be done quickly, or that was how they felt. So at times, you know, Jerry Brownlee, I guess, acknowledged that you know, he had to push things through in the face of opposition or what was thought to be a lack of consultation. But then uh, the press asked Jerry Brownlee, did you see that survey? Uh, recently, which said 29% of people, only 29%, uh, 
of people think that Christchurch is better now than it was before the quakes. That was a survey in June. And Jerry Brownlee replied, um, I wouldn't know because I'm participating in, in your interview, but I never read the press. And I thought it was pretty surprising that a guy who'd been the MP for Ireland for about a quarter of a century uh, doesn't uh, read the city's daily paper. Maybe he's doing a Winston. I thought you <laughs> wouldn't have been able not to mention Q&A. Look, I thought about not mentioning it, but... Um, yeah, it, it was quite an extraordinary interview, wasn't it? Jack Tame, uh, whose, whose name was changed during the course of the show, uh, with Winston Peters on Q&A. The, the, the thing that's worth mentioning, I suppose, though, is that the Q&A show was moved to uh, Monday nights um, in 2018, where it would have got a primetime audience. TVNZ made um, you know a bit of a thing of that at the time, but then quietly shifted it back to Sunday mornings at 9am, um, where it doesn't get that many people watching. The, I haven't got the ratings for last Sunday's show, the one before that, uh, just under 80,000, according to the, the ratings that New Zealand on air supplies for local shows. So, I mean, that's not great. Mind you, there is something else on air at 9am, I suppose, isn't there, on RNZ National. But Anyhow, um, that encounter with Winston Peters wasn't watched by a whole lot of people as a result of that. Uh, but because of the nature of it and what unfolded, it did end up being more widely watched and uh, news stories were made about it. It was called a, a car crash and a train wreck and so on. But the guts of it was, for people who don't know of it, um, Jack Tame asked a series of awkward but pretty reasonable questions uh, to which the Deputy Prime Minister responded uh, by claiming first he'd been ambushed, that the producers had got him on um, uh, with the express purpose of answering questions in the foreign minister type realm like that um, that cattle uh, ship that went down with 6,000 cows on board um, in, in, the, in the South China Sea. And uh, he, he was extremely grumpy to face these questions about things like whether New Zealand First members might have been leaking against uh, the Green Party, um, the horse racing industry funding of the party, things like that. Um, and he pushed back um, against uh, Jack Tame with some signature stonewalling. But he tried to belittle Jack Tame, uh, as we'll hear, by calling him uh, young and naive and out to smear Mr Peters. And in the course of it, um, yeah, Winston Peters changed his name. It's, it's all do. well and good. It's all well and good you know, to look back at things in, in retrospect, James, isn't it? James, James, don't try and, don't try and be. Don't try and be a Philadelphia lawyer with me. I've been around a long time. I spoke up where it matters, and I explained to you that when the government rose from the house, I was free then to say what the history of this matter was. Do you think, Colin, that producers do have an obligation to tell a politician? the nature of the questioning? Yes, I think they do. And most times interviewees are uh, obliged. Well, it's it's only fair that you get when you interview people, they know exactly why they're there. However, this is an election campaign. There are all sorts of questions that, as we know, uh, Winston Peters doesn't answer or will respond to them by going on the attack. He, he you know, we're, we're talking about the early stages of an election campaign, or actually we're well into it now. He cannot have been surprised that on a national outlet there were going to be questions about his conduct, the conduct of his party. Uh, perhaps he would have been surprised by more historic things like asking about um, the New Zealand First Foundation, things like that, which have been discussed previously, the, you know, and the, the Provincial Growth Fund uh, synthetic horse race tracks in and around Christchurch um, that, uh, that they also gave. He probably didn't expect those to come up, but other things he's got to be prepped for, and I don't think it was unfair. But do you, I mean, the, the Philadelphia lawyer, does that mean anything to you? Because I wasn't sure at the time whether it was a compliment or not. I think you can take it both ways. It can be seen as being competent, but it can also be seen as being unscrupulous. 
Yeah, I did the Slack thing, which was just go onto Wikipedia. It says it's a term to describe a lawyer who yeah, knows the most detailed and minute points of law, so you know who, who can uh, get you off a charge, I guess, and, and is exceptionally competent. So I guess he was saying, don't try and be one because you're not one. Uh, it's also a Woody Guthrie song, by the way. Um, is it? Yeah, way out in Reno, Nevada, where romance blooms and fades, a great Philadelphia lawyer was making love with a Hollywood maid, etc. Um the Hollywood maid's partner comes back and it doesn't end well for the, the, the lawyer. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> well, Winston's a lawyer himself, isn't he? Yeah, of course. And I mean, with that um, that pushback from Peters, I mean, it's a way of avoiding answering the questions. But I listened to a bit of talk radio later in the day, and this was pretty widely discussed. And people didn't like the way that he called, not only that he changed his name and repeatedly called him the wrong name, but also they called him Junior and at one point um, accused him of trying to be Billy the Kid. You know, And when you're Winston Peters' age and experience, um, it does look kind of crass. At one point he even said, um, he described this encounter as a duel of wits with an unarmed Opponent, so you know this. This here is a flavour of Winston Peters uh, trying to belittle um, Jack Tame. As any New Zealand First MP, staff or associate, leaked information regarding the Green School funding. James, you're not a lawyer. You're no good in a court of law in terms of cross examination. Well, you, you are not stop an answerer pl- as, as it is silly, at the moment. Stop playing silly games. I'm telling you, if you want it's a very to very simple that, question, Mr. Peters. Mis- yeah, very, very simple, simple question, question, and I've asked you, very, you multiple times to James, the best of your knowledge. You, you haven't answered. Answer, okay, I'm, let me ask another I regret, question. I regret, I regret coming here this morning to stop off my campaign. Come along to see some junior thinks he's going to play Billy the Kid. Okay, please, would you, please realise these are serious matters. I'm trying not to laugh. I know, I know. It, it is, it is, it is. It's, it's, it's pretty crass, I think. And in the end, uh, Jack Tame didn't seem to mind. He just brushed off the fact that that he was using the wrong name. And but when he did come back after the next ad break, he reintroduced himself as, um, you know, this is Q and A. I'm James Tame. And then after the show, changed his Twitter profile uh, to James Tame as well. So I guess, um, I guess he enjoyed. He enjoyed it in the end. But uh, look, someone else, there was an actual James uh, who was watching, clearly. Uh, comedian James Roque, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, who you would have seen on TV3 shows and John Owen Ben and things like that. Um, he uh, did a mashup of Mr. Peter's answers in that interview um, in the mock-up of a kind of quiz show. So if you can picture young James Roque, he's holding a pot plant full of dirt and uh, you know, the big plant coming out the top. And supposedly, in order to ask uh, Winston Peters questions about it, and uh, yeah, this is part of that uh, that mashup. You're, you're not going to be running this program. I am. I'm not going to lie there, sir. It's starting to sound like my mum. James, you're not a lawyer. There you go again. Do you know her? <laughs> well, now, see, that's a kind of simpleton question. Which, if any, if you're speaking to any lawyer, they'd laugh at you. Why are you so obsessed with lawyers? This is clearly a plant. Oh, look, I'm not going to come on and have a uh, star chamber of debate with you, James. Look, Mr. Peters, I'm just trying to run this quiz, and we have 45 more plant or dirt questions left to ask you. And you can keep on talking as long as you like, James, but I think it's a disgrace that a taxpayer-owned operation called TVNZ is behaving this way, this close to the election. Actually, this is just going on my YouTube channel. This is, you're, this is a disgrace. Yeah, it's funny if you can see it, but uh, it actually gives you a flavour of some of the irritation um, that Winston Peters uh, was uh, was uh, brought up to with uh, the questions Jack, Jack Tame was was uh, asking him. And you know, Winston Peters is a person who wants and demands respect, I guess. But I'd like to see James from the media. Well, yeah, from, well, from everybody, I think, in politics, political rivals as well. Um, but I'd like to see James. Maybe do a few more of those mashups of the you know, politicians' interviews. We, I guess, at Media Watch, we shouldn't be in favour of people taking things out of context. But, um, but no, that was that was pretty funny.
Righto, Cindy, don't call me Cindy, please. Yes, a bit of an irony in this. The very same day uh, Jack Tame was being dissed by the Deputy Prime Minister, um, who was using the wrong name for Jack Tame, another journalist uh, was urging people not to belittle the Prime Minister by using the wrong name. That was in the Sunday Star Times. Uh, political writer Andrea Vance railing against people calling the PM Cindy. Um, she said, most women, it happens most often to women by men, they hate pet names. Uh, the informality signals that a woman's name, her title and her credentials are not meaningful. Um, it's a way of diminishing Arduin's power and agency. Um, the misogynistic jab says more about the men using it than it does Arduin, mostly men. She put that in brackets. Um, and it actually proved to be uh, quite clickable for stuff, evidently, because Andrea then did uh, an interview with Jesse Mulligan uh, on RNZ National, and uh, she told him that um, she seemed to have poked a lot of angry bears, judging by you know the clicks and the engagement with the story on the Stuff website. Uh, but she admitted to him it wasn't one she actually spent a whole lot of time on. She said she'd been away on the campaign, had missed a few of the issues, and this was just something in the back of her mind. She dashed it out, she said, after a couple of glasses of wine, um, and then Jesse made a crack about you write drunk, but you edit sober or something, which might be really great or really bad advice. I'm not sure which. But, yeah, she, she seemed taken aback that it had had uh, the impact that it did. You write sober and you edit sober. Yeah, that's 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 what I do. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, when, when everyone's looking anyway. But, look, some people uh, pointed out with long memories that it was just about a year ago Jacinda Ardern spoke at um, the UN and Donald Trump was there. Uh, and the Sunday Star Times put this headline on her column of that, when Cindy met Don, and said, ah, is this hypocrisy? Um, but it wasn't quite, because um, that was satire in which just um, Andrea Vance mocked Donald Trump's uh, lack of class. Um, and so yeah, she wrote a, a kind of pretend Q&A between the two of them uh, where he kept calling her Cindy. So she was taking the rise out of him, and it was not uh, not not hypocritical at all. What was the response that she was getting, the angry response? Well, it wasn't so much an angry one, but some people felt that it was just too precious, you know, we had better things to discuss. And, I mean, also Andrea brought up uh, Margaret Thatcher because uh, she said uh, Margaret Thatcher hated being called Maggie. And, I mean, she would have been working as a journalist, perhaps not quite at that time, but not soon after in the UK. And I was around uh, working as a journalist in London from... A few years after Thatcher stepped down, John Major, her successor, was PM, but people still talked about Maggie, and I had the impression that she didn't mind it because a lot of uh, the voters she was trying to reach, ones that hadn't been Tory conservative voters in the past, uh, self-employed people and so on, would use that Maggie, call her Maggie, her opponents did, you know, Maggie out, and that would be the way that uh, opponents would would use that phrase um, to do her down. But I I think a lot of her supporters did, and I had the feeling that she thought it made her relatable to a broader swathe of the public before people talked about politicians being relatable uh, than had been so in the past or the other conservative leaders and grandees had been able to you know connect with the public so I thought she might be wrong about that but anyhow um, it seemed to me that her saying it was wrong um, some people thought it was not uh, up to a journalist to say what should we should be calling you know the prime minister uh, or not. 
It's hard to get away from it, though. Look at the the name calling just happens. Piggy Muldoon and and all, you know. Yeah, I guess contraction in itself isn't. You know, no one thinks of um, people talking about Big Norm, Norm Kirk, as anything other than affectionate. Maybe it's like because it maybe Cindy, maybe it sounds Cindy like Doll? yeah, Cindy Doll, and it sounds juvenile. I guess I guess that maybe that's the difference between Cindy Maggie. I don't know. It's in the eye of the beholder, but uh, yeah, certainly Andrea didn't expect that a column she dashed off in admitting to Jesse. You know, there were big. Bigger, bigger things she could write about, but this, that was something in the back of her mind that she did want to address.